Y'all can have a seat. Well, this morning, uh, we are going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37. So I'll give you some time to go ahead, go ahead and find your way over there. Um, Ezekiel is a book that I'm assuming a good chunk of us have not spent a ton of time in. Uh, it is in the Old Testament if you need some help. It's a larger book. Hopefully it'll be, that'll help you a little bit in finding it. It's located in kind of a strange place so that if you start the year saying, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and you start uh, maybe at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis... It's a few books later that you hit Leviticus and where a lot of uh, times we get bogged down and maybe throw up our hands and stop. Or maybe you start in the New Testament with the Gospels or some letters from Paul or, or something like that. And so Ezekiel tends to be a letter that, or a, a book that we don't get to a lot. Um, but Ezekiel 37 is one of my favorite chapters. Um, in fact, another one of my favorite chapters is Romans 8, which we will circle back around to next week. So in this season, I'm a happy camper. Um, we get Ezekiel 37 this week, and next week we get to start off with Romans 8. And so I'm all kinds of happy about that. Um, but because Ezekiel's a little bit of a, uh, a strange book, um, Ezekiel's a, a strange character, and because Ezekiel's a book that doesn't get a, a lot of airtime, perhaps it would be helpful if we spent a little bit of time talking about Ezekiel, uh, the man, before we actually jump into chapter 37. So Ezekiel didn't plan to be a prophet. It's not like uh, if you were to come up to him while he was in high school and ask him what he wants to be when he grew up, he would have said a prophet. In fact, Ezekiel was hoping to become a priest. You know, somebody who worked in the temple. The temple was the place where heaven and earth were supposed to kind of come together. The temple was where God came to dwell with his people. The temple was where sacrifices were offered that sin would be atoned for, that the temple would be purified um, so that God and his people could dwell together. And so Ezekiel was planning to become a priest. This was the job that Ezekiel was working towards becoming, as one who would offer sacrifices, who would... Um, through the temple and through the sacrifices, get forgiveness and atonement for the sins of the people to purify the temple um, and to keep things running smoothly. Now, this was a, an important job, and so this wasn't a job that you could just waltz into. You had to be from the right tribe. You had to go through a lot of training, um, and then it seems as well that you couldn't become a priest until your 30th birthday. So this was something Ezekiel was working hard towards. And when Ezekiel was 25 years old, so five years before he should have become a priest, another nation came in and laid siege to Jerusalem. And Ezekiel was carted off away from the temple and away from Jerusalem to a land far, far away. Um, perhaps some of you who've spent your life preparing for something that you never actually found realized might know a little bit of the pain and the suffering that, uh, that Ezekiel suffered here. But harder still than even this, five years went by while Ezekiel was in a faraway place, and he began to get some visions. It's here that uh, God called him to be a prophet. And so at about 30 years old, when he had planned on becoming a priest, he now finds himself being a prophet. And a prophet with a really difficult message. Ezekiel was given a vision of God leaving the temple because it had become so defiled. The place where sin was supposed to be dealt with, the place where God and his people would come together, 
Ezekiel catches a vision of God leaving that place and then of the temple and the city being destroyed. And so all hope Ezekiel had of becoming a priest was gone. And more important than those individual hopes are the questions that this raised up for Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel had to ask questions like, what now becomes of sin? So think about this. If you're in Ezekiel's shoes, if the place where sin is dealt with is destroyed, if God has left the temple, then what becomes of sin? What becomes of God and His people together if the place where they were to meet is destroyed? And it's into the midst of this pain, in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this hurt, that Ezekiel 37 shows up. And Ezekiel 37, in the midst of exile, and in the midst of ruin, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of a time when it seems like there's no way that God can do what He said He would do, we learn that Israel is not too far gone. Now, the reason that Israel is not too far gone is not because Israel wasn't too bad. The reason they're not too far gone is because we learn that our unfaithfulness can't undo the faithfulness of God. That's the picture that we get in the book of Ezekiel and specifically in Ezekiel 37. So hopefully you've found your way to Ezekiel 37. I'm going to pray for us and then we will read. Father in heaven, you are good. You keep your word. And we find ourselves particularly amazed that you keep your word at times when it seems that there is no earthly way that your promises could come true. We've seen that time and again in your word. We've seen that in our own lives as well as you've called and saved and rescued us. And so I pray that you would satisfy us this morning as we hear the words of Ezekiel, as we see the vision that he sees. I pray that you would impress upon us the joy that it is that you have filled us with your very spirit, that you've not left us as dead, but that you've raised us to life. And so do wonderful things through your word this morning, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, or your, or your translation may say a plain. He sets me in the middle of this place, and it was full of bones. And he led me there among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Those of you who've seen the hot Texas dry August grass have a grasp of what he's getting at here. The bones are very dry, verse 3, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, here's a wise answer, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling or an earthquake, and the bones came together, a bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, or to the wind, to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And so Ezekiel is led in this vision to this valley that is full of bones. He looks to the left, and he looks to the right, he looks before him and behind him, and there's bones everywhere. What seems to have gone on here is there's been a great battle. And in this battle, there's been a great defeat, and countless people have been left dead across the valley floor. They've been left unburied to be picked over by the birds of the air, by the animals on the field, or maybe just to have the flesh rotted off of them. This is the vision that Ezekiel is brought out to. And this would make good sense of Israel's present exile. This is the state that they feel. This is the state that they are in. They're cast out of their land. The promises that God has made to them feel like they are broken and shattered on the ground. But notice these bones aren't just there as bones without bodies connected to them. Ezekiel tells us these bones are also very dry. The marrow is dried out of them. These bones have been sitting there dead for a long time long, long time. Any hope of life is squeezed out of them in the hot sun. There's been a great war. There's been great disaster. These bodies have been left unburied, unprotected. They've been picked over, left as bones, and now these bones are completely and totally dried out. God had told Israel, I will bless you and make you a great nation. Those who bless you, I will bless. And Israel has found itself scattered. Cut off from its land, cut off from the temple, cut off from their God. They exist as a pile 
of bones. And so God comes up to Ezekiel and says, he asks him a question. Can these dry bones live? To which the obvious answer would be, of course not. Dead things don't get up, and bones certainly don't get raised, and dry bones even less so, but we're in Ezekiel 37, not the beginning of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel has seen a thing or two, and so Ezekiel responds in the only way that actually makes sense. He says, I don't know. Oh God, you know. And so then God tells him to do something that sounds on its face utterly ridiculous. Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the bones, which maybe is what all of Israel's prophets felt like they were doing when they came to Israel, but Ezekiel is literally told to prophesy to a pile of dry bones. And so Ezekiel does. He prophesies, there's this rattling, this earthquake, the bones start coming together bone to bone, there's sinews that connect them together, flesh comes upon them, skin comes upon them, and by the time we get to verse 8, we now have instead of a pile of bones, we have a pile of bodies. Ezekiel says there's no breath, there's no life in them. And so Ezekiel's told to prophesy a second time. This time not to the bones, but to the wind. So Ezekiel does. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind. And you may notice something interesting is is going on there. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind. The wind comes in them, and God talks about putting his spirit. Uh, The reason for this is this is kind of a a multi-use word. It it fits in different ways. And so the same word is there. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, to the breath, to the spirit. This comes into the people, and there stands up, what does he say? An exceedingly great army. So in the valley where there was defeat, where bodies were left uncovered, where flesh was torn off, and where bones dried out, God has now filled this valley with an exceedingly great army. But God's not done. God then tells Ezekiel to prophesy a third time. So first to the bones, then to the wind, and now he's to prophesy to those in Israel who doubt what God has done. Ezekiel is told, these bones that are now people are the whole house of Israel. And so Ezekiel is to prophesy to the ones who say that our bones are dried up, to the ones who say our hope is lost, to the ones who say we are indeed cut off. He's to prophesy to those who say we are so far gone that God's promises can't come true. Maybe you've seen people like that. Maybe you've felt like that in a particular time, Ezekiel is told, go prophesy to those people and tell them that God is going to open their graves, that he's going to bring these people back to life, that he's going to breathe his spirit into them, that he's going to place them back in their land. Ezekiel is told to go and to prophesy to them as well. And so three times Ezekiel is told to prophesy in chapter 37, to the bones to the wind, and to those in Israel who doubt. Now, by the way, um, if, if you don't know, the Bible is a unified book. It builds on itself, and Ezekiel 37, interestingly enough, is in many ways a replay of Genesis 2. And, and let, me show, let me show you why this is the case, and then I'll tell you why I think this matters. Um, So we've got some verses to show you on the screen. 
um, so you don't have to flip back and forth. So in Ezekiel 37, God shows up to a pile of bones, and God gathers these bones together. He builds these bones into people, and He breathes into them so that they would become alive. And you'll notice that sounds an awful lot like what happens in Genesis 2. Instead of bones, God builds the first man out of the dust of the earth. Adam, he's named a little bit later. He gathers this together, he builds a body, and then what does he do? He breathes life into Adam. And he comes alive. The green and the blue there, those are the same words, so you can kind of track what's going on there. So there's a a story in Ezekiel 37 that sounds like the story in Genesis 2, and Ezekiel's using the same language in Ezekiel 37 that Genesis 2 is. There's more. So he builds these bodies, he breathes into them, they become alive, and then in Genesis 2, he takes this man that he's formed, that he's made alive, and he places him, he rests him in a place that he has prepared, in the promised place. He places him in a garden in Eden. And in Ezekiel 37, he does something similar. He takes this great army that he's built back together, that he's breathed new life into, and he places them, he rests them in the land of promise. And so in a lot of ways, Ezekiel 37 is a replay of Genesis 2. And so where Genesis 2 tells us about creation, about God forming us and giving us a task, In Ezekiel 37, God shows up to where sin has ravaged his creation and his people, and he gathers his people back together. He breathes new life into them. And so Genesis 2 is about creation. Ezekiel 37 is about resurrection and new creation. There's a lot that's happened between Genesis 2 and Ezekiel 37, and Ezekiel 37 is the answer to all that's gone wrong between Genesis 2 and Ezekiel 37. And so Ezekiel's to prophesy to the bones, to the wind, to the people. And this teases out. Israel is, in fact, as Ezekiel said, they're gathered back together. They get to go back to their land. They rebuild the temple. But things aren't quite right. You see, when the first temple was built, we read of a cloud of smoke coming down and filling the temple. It's a a clear picture that God had come to take up residence among His people. But when the temple is rebuilt, the story that we get is those who'd seen the first temple, instead of celebrating, they cry. And so the situation changes, but the people don't. In fact, if you go read the book of Malachi, he's the last prophet in the Old Testament. He shows up. And he criticizes Israel for the same things that had been criticized for them before. There's still a people marked by greed. There's still a people marked by idolatry. And there's still a people marked by not believing in the God who's called them. And so Ezekiel 37 kind of remains as a vision unrealized, as a promise unfulfilled. It gets linked up to so many of the other promises of God that are are promised, but are just left there kind of waiting. That is, until God sends a final prophet. And this prophet comes to the people of God, and like all the prophets before, he is not received. 
In fact, like many of the prophets before, he's actually murdered. But unlike all of the prophets before, Ezekiel 37 happens when Jesus is raised from the dead. Think about the story. Jesus shows up. He's called a prophet from Nazareth. He speaks. He's rejected. He's murdered, placed in a tomb. And what happens? The tomb is opened, and Jesus comes out. And what does he do? Jesus then, John tells us, breathes on the disciples. Acts tells us the Spirit comes onto the disciples. And finally, Ezekiel 37 is happening. Jesus is raised from the dead. The Spirit comes into Jesus' people, and new resurrection life happens among Jesus' disciples. And it's not just that it happens among them. In fact, if you go back to Ezekiel 37, there's a line that gets replayed a few times. So verse 6, Ezekiel 37, 6, God says the reason that he's doing all of this is so that the people would know, I am the Lord. In fact, you see the same thing at verse 13. Why does all this happen? You shall know that I am the Lord. And the same thing happens in verse 14. I'll put my spirit within you. You shall live. I'll place you in your own land. Then you will know what? I am the Lord. Now, we didn't read this, but if you look at the very end of chapter 37, something interesting happens. We see the same line, but it's changed just a little bit. Verse 28 says, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. So there's a connection here between when the people of God finally know who their God is, this inevitably spills out onto all the nations of the world. And if you think about the story that happens after Jesus is raised, after he pours out his spirit onto his disciples, what do his disciples do? They go to the nations. And Ezekiel 37 happens, and all the nations finally then come to know the Lord. So Ezekiel 37. There's a few things that I want to mention that I hope we don't leave this morning without catching. So if you're taking notes, here's here's three points for you. In nice, true Baptist fashion. Three points. Um, First, preaching to the dead is not foolish. Do you see that in verse 4? Ezekiel is told, prophesy over these bones and tell them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The task that Ezekiel is given is right up there with some of the other outlandish things that God asks his people to do. I'm thinking here of Joshua being told to take a leisurely stroll around the city of Jericho as a way of conquering it. I'm thinking here of Moses, who has a mumbling, rebellious group of people who's dying of thirst, told to go have a conversation with a rock. I'm thinking of Gideon, who's facing a large army and is told by God, you've got too many people 
trim it down a little bit. This is the realm that Ezekiel's in. He's told to go up to bones and tell them to listen. You'll notice what's not in a pile of bones. Ears. But to these bones, Ezekiel has said, tell them to listen. Now, you may also know this is a repeated cycle here. So Ezekiel's told to prophesy to dead bones. If you think about Jesus, Jesus walks up to a, the tomb of his friend Lazarus and calls to Lazarus to get up. And what happens? Lazarus gets up. He goes to the daughter of Jairus, and he says, little girl, get up. And the dead girl gets up. You think about what's happened to you. The dry bones are you and they're me. And God shows up. And God breathes new life. And says, follow me. And if you're in this room following Jesus, it's because you've been brought from death to life. Our God is great. He makes dead things live. He makes dirty things clean. He makes the sick well. He fills the hungry. And he makes the sinful forgiven. It's not foolish to preach to the dead. And so this means if you're here with us this morning and you are not a Christian, or you don't know if you are, you're not real sure where you fit in this whole thing, um, this means that you're not too far gone. And the reason you're not too far gone isn't because you haven't done too bad of things. The reason you're not too far gone is because the God of the universe, the God who created all that is, is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. There is no sin so deep that God's grace isn't greater. There's no distance so great. There's no folly so foolish that you can outrun God's grace. And so if you think, I'm maybe too far gone, I've been too rebellious. I've turned my ear away from God for too long. The truth is, you can't. God is in the business of raising the dead to the life. And for those of you in this room who know God, who love Jesus, here's a call for you to take courage. Ezekiel's called to preach to a valley of dry bones. Let me encourage you, don't get weary or give up that God can do wonderful things in the lives of your family or friends. It's awfully tempting when we spend a lot of time with people and we've repeatedly told them the good news, offered them the gospel, and it's been continually rejected. It is easy to think, well, I guess I've done all I can. It's time to give up. They've made their choice. Ezekiel 37 is a call to not do that. Dry bones come back to life. So it's not foolish to preach to the dead. In fact, this is also the reason we do missions. This is the reason the gospel goes to the ends of the world is because Ezekiel 37 says when God's people come to know who God is, inevitably this goes to the ends of the earth and the nations also no. The reason that you know who Jesus is is because Jesus' disciples 
finally understood who Jesus was, and that message went to the ends of the earth. And so we do missions. We love to see the gospel go to places it hasn't yet gone. So first point, preaching to the dead is not foolish. Second, God is faithful. So I want you to notice, um, in Ezekiel 37, the thing that happens, the thing that you may notice first is that dead bones come back to life. But Ezekiel 37 isn't primarily about God's power over bones. Obviously, he has power over bones. He brings life where there was once death. But Ezekiel 37 is primarily about what God has said would happen is now finally happening. Remember, Ezekiel is speaking to a people who think God has given up on them, has left, and they think God's promises can't be fulfilled. We are, they say, dry bones. Our hope is lost, verse 11, we are indeed cut off. The most important thing that's happening in Ezekiel 37 is that God's word, his promise, is actually finally being fulfilled. God said, I will make you a great nation. And this nation that is in exile, God says, will be raised back and breath will enter you. I will be your God and you will be my people. That for a time worked around the temple, but even greater than that, Jesus sends his very spirit into you and into me. It's in Ezekiel 37 that we see God's promises finally being fulfilled. So it's not foolish to preach to the dead. God is faithful. And then the last thing I want you to notice is the identity of the people of God here. So you'll notice, these people who get raised back to life, who get breath breathed into them, who have the Spirit with them, notice the markers that identify them aren't who they're descended from. It's not the sacrificial system. There's nothing in Ezekiel 37 about this temple being rebuilt. In fact, the markers in Ezekiel 37 are the people who belong to God are those that God has raised up and breathed His Spirit into. See, the temple was always temporary. Jesus did what the temple never could. And in Ezekiel 37, we catch a glimpse. We need more of the Bible to flesh it out, but we catch a glimpse that the people of God are those that God has raised back to life and given His Spirit to. And this, we've been in Romans. Um, you may notice that Paul picks this theme up over and over and over again. In fact, in, in Romans 8, he'll pick it up again, um, that the people who belong to God are those who have the Spirit and life. Where does Paul get that from? A lot of places, but Ezekiel 37 is one of them. And so this means good news, praise God. Those of you here who are alive and have the Spirit in you, you belong to God. This means also, pre-Jesus, you were dead. No hope. Dry, dry bones. And dead things don't wake themselves up. We know that. Jesus does, though. 
Jesus raises us back to life. And this church should give you a sturdiness that looks strange in our world. Because, let me give you this quote. This is from Tim Keller. He says, The gospel says that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In other words, the gospel says something so cruel about you that nobody else can say anything worse. The gospel says you're dead. You're trapped in sin. And that's true. So in the gospel, you've received the worst statement that you could ever receive. And in the gospel, you receive the greatest hope and joy that you could ever receive because despite the state that you were in, in Jesus, you are loved and accepted. You think about the ramifications of this for relationships with others? Nobody can say anything so difficult to you that it rises to what Jesus has already said about you. And even though that's true, Jesus still accepts you and loves you. Christians ought to be sturdy people. People that can't be shaken or moved by things that people say or things that happen in our life because the gospel says something far bigger than any of that. And this should give us boldness and persistence in our witness. So circling back around to the first point about it's not foolish to speak the gospel to the dead. Because if God has raised your dead self from the grave, will he not also do the same for others? Yes, he will. And so Ezekiel 37 people, people who've been raised back to life given the Spirit, people who know this Jesus, ought to be sturdy people, ought to be bold people, ought to be faith-filled people. And so I hope Ezekiel 37 has been and, and will be a balm to your weary bones. I hope that it strengthens your hope in God, the one who keeps His Word. I hope that it gives you contentment in your identity, that you belong not to anyone else, not to anything else, but you belong wholly and completely to God. And I hope it gives you the courage to preach this same hope to those around you. Let me pray.